All right, can I get a can I get a vibe check? The vibe. Yeah, yes. Vibe. Yeah. Vibing. Yeah. yeah. You vibing? Yeah. We're all good. Vibing. Like a seven. That's a, that's a pretty that's out of five. Oh. <laughs> world traverse the skies your home is here within my heart we are hottest 100s and thousands and we have taken control of your radio station this is the podcast in which we talk about the songs that have been deemed hot enough to be in the triple j hottest 100 once again my name is william patrick young and i am (laughs) one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour or so joining me once again William Patrick McDonald. Happy to be here. William Patrick Harrison. I think I could pull off Billy. Billy Harrison? Yeah. Little Billy Harrison. Well, yeah. I, I, I didn't say little Billy. <laughs> I did. Yeah. If the, if the little tiny baby shoe fits. <laughs> <laughs> little boss baby Billy Harrison. <laughs> uh, listen, I think we, we mentioned this a few episodes ago, but we recorded a very good episode that got lost to the time, and there were some good boss baby riffs. So just imagine so that good. they were funny. Most of that episode was boss baby riffs. That's yeah. what you missed. Yeah. And that is the voice of William Patrick Buncher. <laughs> All right, boys. We are kicking off with... Number 80, making their debut in the Triple J Hottest 100. This is Skulker with the song Hey. Number 80 in the hottest 100 of the year, 2000. That is, hey? Like, we, it's got to be hey. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. And I love they it because... In, in the words of Ron Burgundy, I think it's a soft J. <laughs> no, it's because it's, um, you know, like when you're in uh, when you're in Norway or you're in Scandinavia or whatever. You oh, know, that the, thing that I can easily relate or, to. <laughs> or like when you're having a fajita. It's a soft J. Is there a J in fajita? There is. But it's, yeah. But like particularly... Or a burrito. <laughs> Soft, soft J. <laughs> Very soft J. <laughs> where, where is the soft J? Like, After the U. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. Hey is, yeah, hey is like Swedish for high. That's right. Well, I mean, like, but also but like... they say a, hey, hey. It's a Swedish thing, right? Like the, you so, know, like... Hey. You're listening to like a, a sweet... Your favourite Swedish metal band. And, you know, the, they all of a sudden will pronounce a word that starts with a J with a, with a Y. It's like a thing. Lots of it's how they play like, things. Yeah, lots of dialects do that. Yeah, is that where? Um, but I don't listen to the heaters come from. <laughs> is that where? Is that, is that where cigarros comes from? 
That's ice, Iceland. Iceland. Right. Yeah. But they don't even sing in Icelandic. They're singing in their own language, man. They well, make like up that, their own Oh, rules. yeah. Hopelandic. No, that's right. That. Yeah. It's, but it is just scat. <laughs> like, they don't invent their own language. John C is just scatting. Yeah. Oh, it's a soft Jane in as well. John C with like his guitar and the bow is going like, ski, ba, 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 da, ba. <laughs> would, would listen to. Yeah, he is, he is the scat man. I'm the scat man. You. <laughs> It's a long time before we talk about Sigur Ross, but uh, right now let's focus on Skulker, a uh, Sydney-based, I hate the phrase, but girl band, because uh, all four of the members of this band were female. Gria, Annette, Angela and Naomi, they formed in 1994, and they put out two very underrated, very fun garage pop rock. There was a another... Horrid turn of phrase, but they were described as frock rock around that time because... Oh, that's not good. Not well, it, good, if right? If they coined it, it's cool. There was some marketing stuff going around at the time. Like someone somewhere who had some money invested in whatever yeah. was very much trying to push for these guys to be like the premier all-girl Australian rock band. Yeah, even like, if, that was that was it, part of it. Even if fucking Wikipedia page refers to them as an all-female band. There's merit to some of that because if you look at like... Particularly like the early 90s, all of the... And, and like, honestly, music in general is heavily male-dominated. Yeah. I mean, they're literally the only women we're talking about today. Yeah. <laughs> so I, and for like, several episodes, for that matter. I think it makes sense when bands try and adopt some of those terms to help. Yeah, well, it's like Riot Girl did that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is episode five. We don't talk about another woman until episode eight. We are four men as well. Yeah. Like pretty boys, 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 yeah. boys. Look, if you're listening to this podcast, don't listen to more guys after us. Listen to <laughs> a different... Like, it's on you. It's no one band's fault. It's not yeah. our fault either. Yeah. What? What? It's the choices you make as a listener. Nathan, what, what are all female podcasts? Should they listen to you after this? The Girl's Guide to Dude Cinema is a great oh, podcast. a great podcast. Where a couple of very funny ladies talk about the movies that guys always are like, yeah. oh, you haven't seen, Die Hard, you haven't seen Fight Club? It's <laughs> yeah. so good. So good. It's uh, pretty good. I'm a big fan of Daddy Look At Me, which is uh, hosted by two British uh, comedians, Helen Bauer and Rosie Jones. And they bring in a guest from the world of like comedy or film or stand-up or anything like that. And they basically talk about what they were like as kids and the stuff they did for attention. That's hence, nice. Hence, nice. Daddy, look at me. Yeah, <laughs> Andrew, do do you? Your question sounded like a bit of a trap. Do you know any podcasts? Well, I, I used to listen to My Favorite Murder quite a bit, but mm. I, I kind of soured on it for not the podcast reasons, but my just own. on murders. The fan base, <laughs> no, well, soured on murders. Of, but the fan murders base, are but cancelled. Also, but also murders, right? I got, I felt weird about liking true crime shit. I had yeah. a weird crisis oh, of the self, bad. so I stopped listening to My Favorite Murder. But they're still yeah. very I'm fucking so funny fucking women. over true crime, dude. Yeah. Like, well, fuck. Well, let's see if there's a bit of true crime in this song. Uh, 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 Oh, God. Anyway, so this comes from their debut album, Too Fat for Tahiti. Yeah, they were one of those bands that kind of like, uh, unless you were around at the time, they would have completely flown under the radar. Real kind of product of its environment, I think. But it's got some really sharp melodies and really catchy guitar work. The whole record's like this. It's just very brisk and very fun and very catchy. It's a solid collection of tunes. It's not too demanding. It's not thought-provoking or anything like that. It feels like it would be very at home on like the 10 Things I Hate About You soundtrack. You know, That's that a good soundtrack, thing. though. Oh, it's a ripper, right? Exactly. That's no tea, no shade, no lemonade, my friend. That is uh, some... 
High praise. I didn't know these guys, but listen to this song. I was like, I guarantee David knows these fucking guys. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. Just because, I, like, I know I've you. I've been seen. Yeah. Was this new to you guys? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think, think I, I vaguely recognise the name, but yeah, I, I can't say I've listened to them before. But, like, yeah, totally fun, like, garage pop. I can absolutely see this being, like, an absolute bunter track live at a festival, like, mm. in the afternoon sun. It'd be really fun. They supported the Veruca Salt and then at other times Super Jesus. It's like, yeah. yep. And also yep. Al Pink. Yeah. Hey. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that, that would have been like... As the, in like... As in pink. Alicia as in the Moore. bushfire <laughs> fundraising hero. Yeah, yes. right. Huh. Pink. From from earlier this year. Yeah. Mum's own. The trapeze yes. artist. Yeah, yeah so yeah. this... Or this, whatever. Yeah, back, back when she was only doing a measly one or two nights at an arena <laughs> instead of 32 or whatever the fuck she did. Yeah, she's performing right now. Yeah, yeah, probably. She, she's <laughs> She's there. flying over the top of us on a fucking trapeze. Yeah, she's... Like, oh, hey, you've been up there a while. Yeah. I didn't, this is the longest version to get the party started I've ever heard. <laughs> that, <laughs> that one that, chord. That, 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 yeah, yeah this, this was fucking fun, though. Yeah, I, I kind yeah. of wish it was a little bit like faster, but that's just on me for my taste and like maybe a bit sloppier, but they nail it. It's for what it is. It's entirely fun cool as fuck pop man yeah i think it's pretty self-evident exactly what you know you guys have said like i think the guitars sound really really good the tone is really nice i maybe want a little bit more energy in my haze but at that point i'm just like i'm just looking for things that can and i want the um the instrumental section as well i don't know whether that necessarily needs to be there in terms of the construction of the song oh yeah Um, especially not for as long as it kind of goes for like i think they could probably get back to it a little bit faster that like sticks out for me in the song but like everything else like the vocals in particular Greer Skinner is the name of, and she just does an awesome job. Skinner! Yeah, that's right. I think, like, also talking just about, you know, like, there being an an all-girl band or whatever, like, these guys formed at an all-girls high school. Like, I think Mm. there wasn't necessarily anything, you know, trying to happen there apart from the fact that they were, this is just a high school band. Mm, just happens yeah. to come from an all girls high school. So, of course, they're like. All Where were they going to find dudes? The boys' school? Yeah. Ew. Ew. Yeah. The, uh, cooties the... on the drum kit. But I can easily see how these guys fit into the musical landscape or whatever. Because, like, even listening to them, you go, like, oh, right. I know several other Australian bands whom you fit alongside. You don't, mm-hmm. you're not aping anyone's sound. You don't sound exactly like anyone else. But there is a little bit of Killing Heidi in here. Yeah. yeah There's a little like, bit of Super Jesus she in She sounds here. like Ella a bit, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, just like in a great way yeah in a cool way yeah and even like you know especially thinking about these guys starting in school if you rewind a few years when we were talking about veruca salt talking about hole yeah and bands like that you can see how those bands then are responsible for for people in high school being like oh we can do that now and i think this the trajectory of this band and the the history of them is is great as well like how cool to start a band being influenced by a certain artist, you end up getting to support that artist and meet that artist. And then, you know, you release a couple of albums, you get immortalized in the, in the great record that is the hottest 100 and the podcast. And then eventually they just, well, perhaps more so. (laughs) Eventually they just kind of said, Oh, you know, we're, we're kind of interested in other things now. And they just kind of happily and amicably called it quits. Like, that's yeah. the dream, right? That was what I, I read. I was trying to find out what they were doing after this kind of thing like that, but they just said they had other interests and they bounced kind of thing. So Disney animators. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? That's the cycle of every musician. <laughs> you, you, get, you get out of music and then you have to go through the, the Mickey Mouse mind. You've got to pay you, your dues. Yeah. Once you see the executive standing there with the mouse ears that you show, you know you're going to get a talking to yeah. afterwards. You know? But yeah, Scott, this, I'm, I'm glad to have come across this song, I think, like for the yeah. time. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's just a solid like turn of the century guitar pop record you know tight yeah you'll hear a little bit more about that in several episodes time when we're allowed to talk about women again 
Okay, everyone. Let's address the elephant in the room. The 2000 Hottest 100 features several repeat offenders. These are songs that we have talked about before, mostly because they've been voted into the Hottest 100. However, for some bizarre unbeknownst reason, Triple J saw all the votes coming in yet again for the exact same song and were like, yeah, I'm going to allow this. So this happens three times in this countdown. So instead of talking about the songs again, we've conducted a little little fun game to help us get through these songs. Welcome to Whose Song Is It Anyway? The game where everything is made up and the votes don't matter. <laughs> the votes really don't matter. They really don't. It was 56 last year. Well, there so you go. So, so drop uh, down. So, so eagerly listeners know exactly what song we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do is we are going to introduce this song as it is, but when we come back, I will be introducing and discussing a completely different song. Everyone, this is so wild. There are so many songs. Yeah. Uh, so you <laughs> guys not are that you, many yeah. songs. There's, there's, there's a like few. Twenty dozens. You guys are free to ask questions about it, uh, but the second you guess the song and you are incorrect, you are out. I'm going to come straight in with a hot guess <laughs> off the very top. I'm actually into that. I like. Yep, the, I like good. the moxie. Yep, yeah. I'm coming straight in. So watch I'm round one. It. Round one of whose song is it anyway? Okay, here we go. At number 79, this is Metallica with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. This is No Leaf Clover. We just get we just get one in because we're not going to like we're not talking about the song so we won't get an opportunity to, but it is Metallica, so yeah. Yeah. You guys you good? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah, good. you sure? That yeah. was the Ed, shittest yeah I've ever yeah. heard. Do you want to clean you want to clean one? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. We're not talking about it anyway, so that's yeah. enough. <laughs> I, um, after, after listening to that, I bounced around the S&M track listing and mm. really listened to the version of Master of Puppets. It's actually pretty good, it's, hey. It's fucking good, but man, he lets the crowd do a lot of the vocal work. It's puppets, dude. He's the master of puppets. Yeah. He's making them sing. They don't yeah. even want to. Mm. That's it, it's performance art, man. I don't expect you to understand. <laughs> I expect you to like it. Yeah. <laughs> the the instrumental sections in particular for the live versions of Master of Puppets are particularly choice. Yeah, it's choice, man. Very yeah. good. Um, okay. Oh, wait. Octopus's Garden. Incorrect. <laughs> okay, I'm out. <laughs> That's a bold I, guess. I meant by the Beatles, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then yes. yes. Oh, shit. <laughs> As opposed to any covers? <laughs> Checking that out. Oh, of course I'm someone's sure covered Octopus's Garden. Come on, man. Well, let's find it's out. a Beatles song. Let's yeah. Find out. yeah, let's Octopus do it. Is what a low, like, what you, you keep going, low esteem you must have of yourself to cover <laughs> that song. What are the crabby Beatles songs? When I'm 64 is kind of a stinker. Yeah. Yeah, that's no good. Uh, for being for the benefit of Mr. Being for the Kite. Of Mr. Kite's yeah, home. that's all right. Uh, uh, Helter Skelter. <laughs> I don't mind Helter Skelter. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, day no, who, which one of you guys <laughs> hates Hey Jude? Me. Sucks. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Hmm. It's cheesy. You don't like cheese. But also, half the song is just ba ba da ba. Yeah, ba da da da. The yeah. best parts of it is when it is it, um, is it John or Paul who's just going in the background doing mm. the Hey Jude, Hey 
Rachel, Rachel, Rachel. Oh, that's Rachel. Paul, yeah. Paul, yeah. Like, yeah. we invited him into the session. <laughs> <laughs> probably the producer. I think it's his song, man. Like, he <laughs> yeah, wrote, he is, wrote yeah. that. Yeah. Mm. Like, well, it was about his kid. It was about so, John's kid. Well, yeah, <gasps> Jules. Yeah. yeah. Who was really Paul's kid? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. So you know, the, well, the original, the original lyric. Because, yeah, it was a, Paul wrote it for Julian Lennon. Mm. Uh, so the original line was, hey, Jules. Mm. Uh, but then they changed it to Hey Jude to make it kind of so less specific. Adam, who covered Octopus's Garden? <laughs> Oasis. <laughs> Get your hand off a of Gallagher's. <laughs> Amazing. Not the whole thing. I will say it's not the whole thing. Um, but apparently Noel Gallagher um, adds adapted lyrics from uh, Octopus's Garden to the end of their song, Whatever, during some of the live performances. Yeah, that makes Why? sense. Um, also the Muppets. Yeah, okay, that's that's that, that tracks. That's yeah, that definitely tracks. Yeah. All right, David, though. Talk to it. us about uh, No Leaf Clover. Cool. Okay, so this is No Leaf Clover by Metallica, featuring the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. Now, this song came out in the year 2000, so it is eligible for this countdown. It is by a very famous American heavy metal band. I'll like, just leave. You might yeah. as well guess now. <laughs> yeah, we kind just, of... You can well, concentrate it. It's, it's more recent metal. Uh, some might even say it's new. You uh, narrowed uh, the field quite yeah, a bit there. Well, yeah, well, No Leaf Clover is, up until quite recently, was regarded as the signature song for this band. Uh, however, a couple of years ago, this band ended up doing a cover of a famous, another very famous song that ended up eclipsing everything they'd done oh, previously. Is it, is, it, is it Disturbed? What song? Yeah, oh, well, Christ. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, I fucked up with like knowing what band did the ooh ah, 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 so I don't know. Is, it, is that the song? And is it called... Is it called Bodies Hit the Floor? It is no, not. No, that's Drowning Pool. Damn it. That's man. correct. Oh. And he says he doesn't know metal. I know. So it's by Disturbed. Nathan's all on your oh, shoulders. Oh, God. <laughs> Time to whip out your Disturbed knowledge. Yeah, I'm just... I know. Can I, they can sound I help? Of, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Because I know. Because they covered yeah. Sound of Silence, which became their biggest song. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's Man, the, that's a stinker. But it is the ooh ah, ah, ah song. Yes, it is. Yeah. I need another hint. Is that what it's called? Ooh, ah, ah. It is, no, it's no, not it is not called it's that. It's not even in brackets, which <laughs> yeah. is a bit of a missed opportunity, really. No, the, the titular phrase comes in the chorus of the song. Uh-huh. And what does it rhyme with? Uh, well. What if I said, you, you know, if you weren't feeling very well? Oh, down with, down the with the sickness! Ooh, ah, ah, yeah! You're out! Well, I got the band. We helped. Yeah. Did <laughs> yeah. that happen very quickly? Yeah, nice. Is that fun? I think so. We got to we got to shit on the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was, was fun. That was fun. I uh, liked it in a conversation with the Beatles and Disturbed. We chose to shit on the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the kind of podcast we are. So, David, do we ever get to talk about Down with the Sickness in the context of the countdowns? Does it get in? I mean, no. I'll, I'll, I'll year, make right? it my postal votes. <laughs> so, yes. oh, okay. So you don't, but you don't. But I mean, like we're here. Do you want to give any opinions on it now? Have uh, you prepped that? Look, only your entire life, am I right? <laughs> it's a good song. There's a key change at the end, which is sick. The riff is sick. Ooh-ah-ah-ah is sick. I interviewed Dave Draymond a few years ago, and I asked him what he's more proud of in his career out of Ooh-ah-ah-ah and yummy yum 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 which is why they're... Do, 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 do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what did he say? Well, he said... As as much as I love yumma nama nama, I know do, on my do, do. on my headstone it's gonna read ooh ah ah ah. Great. I was like, 
I'm I'm gonna shoot my shot here. Like he might he might get pissed off because there was a delay on the line. So there's just a couple seconds of silence, and then I just hear, <laughs> and I'm just like, I got you, man. Um, yeah, lucky. Uh, yeah. Oh man, I was I was pretty happy to there be perfect. Delay on the line. If he, if he came back with like those lyrics are my children. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, that, was that is a noble noble art form. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> Number 78, this is the Smashing Pumpkins with Stand Inside Your Love. making their return to the Triple J Hottest 100, coming in at number 78 in the Hottest 100 of the year 2000. That is Stand Inside Your Love from the quote-unquote final Smashing Pumpkins album, Machina, The Machines of Hate. Machines of God? Machines machines of God. God. Yeah. You might think God is hate, David, but uh, wow. Well, well, God is empty, just like me. Mm. So I think they did two albums. There was another record that came out after that that was like all B-sides and shit. That was like Machina 2. Yeah, he was big into those kind of conceptual kind of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, especially at this time, right? Like that was was the whole thing that was kind of going on. Like this was supposed to be a part musical theatre tour where they had like exaggerated cartoon versions of themselves and you know the the packaging had some of the the concept art for what that would be and like it was it was going to be like really big and wild there was a whole story written about it where like they all had extended personas billy's being zero who then heard the voice of god and changed his name to glass and then renamed his band the machines listen look on paper a lot of ideas kind of sound sound bad you're like david bowie so i've said before like i think that pretentious is a lame criticism of nearly any art if someone wants to have an overarching idea that seems highfalutin good on them for fucking shooting for the stars kind of thing but sometimes it doesn't work and when it doesn't work it's fucking Billy Corgan posting cringe on the timeline. <laughs> uh, but this is certainly like the Smashing Pumpkins story is is starting to wind down. This yeah. is the last time we talk about them, but uh, nearly. Is it the 11th? We've talked about 11 Smashing Pumpkins songs now. Isn't that wild? It's a lot. Yeah, so many times I feel like. Because when we first started talking about like the the Gish tracks and then the Siamese Dream shit, it was kind of, we were all like, oh man, 
remember how fucking awesome a band they truly were kind of thing. And then even the hits from Melancholy kind of thing. And like then the songs afterwards that kind of like reference that. And there's always this kind of sense of like, like, oh, that was such a good band. Like, oh, they still knew a little bit and blah, blah, blah. And like, obviously now like the Korg and Ego has well and truly taken over the Pumpkins as a band. I don't mind this song. No, I think this is all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah I fully. love this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is one of the best Pumpkins tracks we've we've talked about in a long, long time. I yeah, got into fair. this. It's kind of fitting because this saw the return of Jimmy Chamberlain. Right. Um, oh yeah, because he came back just at the end of 1998. Because, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they'd replaced him with a drum machine for Averdor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he went off to rehab. It is but, uh, so good to have him back. Like, oh man, his, his work on this track is really, really great. Great. And I, man, I, I didn't actually realize how incredible as a drummer he was. I listened to um, Siamese Dream recently. Mm. I couldn't stop listening to just the drumming. I couldn't stop focusing mm. on it. It's so good. Also, we got uh, Melissa Alftemar. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For, uh, f- uh, formerly of Hole. That's right. So now she's playing with the band as well. So it is very much a she's return. She's so fucking talented. Yeah, she's man. Amazing crazy. musician. So it is like a return to style and a return to form for the Pumpkins. And like even Corgan said, like when we wrote it, like this is a kind of Pumpkin song that he imagines could have fit onto any of the albums at any point in time. I think that really comes across. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it definitely has like a classic Pumpkin sound to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's so like like lyrically, it's just such an obviously explicit love song. Like it's not really about anything else. It's just this kind of sweet, earnest heart on the sleeve. I think I think with this song, you can tell how much Billy Corgan loves the Cure. Like mm. not that it sounds oh, okay, not that it sounds a lot like a Cure track, but like that kind of lyric, kind of like work, kind of like that, and the slow oh. kind of way he delivers the lyrics, kind of thing. Yeah, and like even a, even just like there's so much intimacy in the song, yeah. and the kind of grandiosity of even just thinking about the drums and that. Like it's a big mm. song still, but like. It is so intimate, and I think that's a very cure thing as well. Yeah, B- Billy does like sincere love song lyric writing. Like it's it's sincere to an almost absurd regard, but if you allow yourself to kind of go with it, like it's yeah. I don't know, like you, it's pretty nice. You have to lean into it. And I, I think the cure is a great con- comparison point because I think they kind of do a similar thing. Now, apparently, like this is one of the things where the writing of the of the entire song was just like really easy and effortless. He, he describes like waking up the next morning. And just having all the lyrics in his head, he had like the the the, the phrase for the title of it there, and it just kind of came out. Such a thing, yeah. right? When you just mm-hmm. like you're milling over a, a creative problem, and all of a sudden you just wake up, and it's just like there. Like I relate to that. It's just yeah. Like, again, like just the lyrics, right? Like like you think of how much Billy, for a certain group of people, was the voice of like a disaffected youth. You can see if you were like a nihilistic teenager who was like oh the world's so crap blah 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 i'm so sad you're exactly also the same kind of person who when you then fall in love feel like it's this all encapsulating thing where like you like just stand inside your love kind of thing so i can see why people would love this song like it's it makes so much sense for a pumpkin's love song to have this kind of dreary gothic feel but then also be this absolutely earnest heart on the sleeve romance ballad dude yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely it fucking works the solo's cool everything about this kind of works as as a pumpkin's tune man well i think Having Stand Outside Your Love as one of their final ever singles, that's what we know at this point in mm. the year 2000, the year of our Lord. It's kind of a nice send-off. There's a tenderness there that wasn't present in a lot of what they were doing early on. The rat is out of its cage, as it were, you know? It's kind yeah, of... It's, the it's, rat's the, like, this isn't so bad. The rat's domesticated. Good, rat, for, the, good for the rat. Yeah, rats, yeah, rat, yeah. rats can have a little GF as a treat. As a treat. There's <laughs> <laughs> a, a Ukrainian artist GF as a treat. Is that who he was dating? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yelena uh, Yenchek yeah, or right. something. What's her deal? Uh, I think What's she's she just about? like a visual artist. Yeah, cool. 
and they were together for a while. Her greatest art She's in the video. Um, yes. Which... Uh, is yeah. based on uh, the Oscar Wilde play Salome. Salome. Also in the video is the uh, guy who plays Azamat Bagatov in the Borat. That's oh, yeah, true. Yeah. That is true. No yeah. shit. Yeah. And their video. It's part of the Borat verse. Yeah. <laughs> their video was hated so much by Sharon Osbourne, who I didn't know was their like manager at the time. Yeah. yeah. She, hated, she hated the video she so much it. she dropped the band. Yeah. <laughs> It's like this, this. It was like the last straw. I haven't seen. I haven't seen the video, but like based on that, it's like how. I think we should have a viewing party. Yeah, maybe. I I Not mean, invite Sharon. It, it's a bit crappy. I but like to to be so mad at that's, it. Is, that's yeah. wild. I, I mean, Sharon. she was also fighting with Corgan all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, like. Look. Yeah. Oh, bad. those two? Those are the, the two of the coolest heads yeah. in the yeah. music yeah. Two of the most calm people in the world. Yeah. It's just a chess match every day. Yeah. <laughs> How did it come about? I didn't know Sharon was in the management game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, who she's, are all the people standing by me like, yeah, this relationship is a good idea for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it's really interesting that we are talking about so many bands kind of at the tail end of their career and that what that kind of looks yeah, like. Well, you know, sure. Y2K and all that. Well, exactly, yeah. you know, everyone's... Um, but, you know, Rage Against the Machine, it looked like them just kind of going like, we're, you know, like trying to get back into things by doing that covers album, as we talked about, and trying to rediscover who they were, eventually finding they weren't successful, so kind of calling it. What Billy was playing with here, you're kind of seeing some similar things. We're going back to the classic Pumpkins. We're reuniting with, you know, old, old people who were part of the band in its inception or whatever have always been alongside the band in the case of Melissa. And, yeah. we're, and we're also attempting to do like these really ambitious far out ideas because, you know, what if we do follow this through and what if it really does revitalize mm. what, what we can be for rock at the moment and what rock music can kind of be for us. Like I can't imagine how hard it must be to try and create something, as I can kind of imagine, <laughs> to, to, do, to do the same thing for so long and, like... Have so few five-star reviews. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like try and, it, try it, and, it must really wear on the soul. <laughs> what it's like to try and revitalise that all the time or, or you know, like, mm. how, do you, how do you please yourself in that as much as anything else, as well as everyone else? Totally. Because, yeah. like, like, you know, obviously, like, the conservative choice is to kind of be like, well, we can still be an okay band and just write some songs and just put out another album and it will just be another Smashing Pumpkins album and the decline will continue. Yeah, but that sucks. But if we do shoot for the moon and it doesn't work, then it's kind of in the same space as we'd be if we didn't do yeah. anything. So let's yeah, let's try and do a weird multi-album musical theatre. Whatever I mean, it was going to be. You can shoot for the moon with a good idea, I think, too. But... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, like at least being ambitious is good. But it also just might be them, like Billy knowing like, you know what, my tenure with the Smashing Pumpkins is not going to last much longer. I want to like do solo stuff or I want to do like mm. Zwan shit and like have different ideas in play and different band. But like if we're going out, we're going out with this huge fucking spectacle with these ideas that are just mm. so big that you know it's going to be the last kind of statement you make as a band. So you might even be trying to revitalize, you might be trying to make a a good underline to your career kind of thing. But then it's also interesting with those grand ideas. This is a very straightforward song. Mm. Like, yeah. 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 I, I can't speak for the rest of the album. I haven't no, heard it. Yeah. But like, as I said, this, this is absolutely, you know, up there in the top tier of Smashing Pumpkins songs that we've talked about. Mm. I rank this, you know, alongside some of the, the their best, most iconic tracks that we've, we've kind of covered yeah, here. Nice. I really enjoyed this. Mm. It is lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Number 77, it is the return of Rage Against the Machine. This is Maria. The sun ablaze is Maria's foot touches. 
Against Machine coming in at number 77 in the Hottest 100 of 2000. That's Maria, not to be confused with Santana's Maria Maria, which also came out this very same year. Or Ave Maria, which also came out this year. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, big big Bocelli head, are you? Yeah. <laughs> Is that who wrote it? No, no, but it's like as if Bocelli didn't do. Also, not to be confused with Maria from Sesame Street, who was still on Sesame Street at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved her. Who sang Ave Maria? Indeed, about herself. (laughs) Very arrogant move, I think. (laughs) That's what Big Bird said. You don't think women should celebrate themselves? You don't, Dan? I can't even. No, no, I don't. No. (laughs) Well, today's show was brought to you by the letter A and the number seventy-seven. Adam. (laughs) Yeah. You're 77. <laughs> I'm, I feel like I'm looking pretty good. Give us, good? Give us 77 facts about this song. One, it slaps. One. Two, two. It, uh, it comes off the album <laughs> The Battle of Los Angeles. 75 to go. <laughs> We're going to be here a I'm while, I'm 100% going to do this. <laughs> um, uh, three, so this song is um, basically... It's, it's basically telling a story of a Mexican immigrant named Maria coming to America for a better life. It's like a classic kind of immigrant's tale, right? Um, instead, she comes and she finds that she's forced to work like a slave, that she's she's disconnected from from the culture, the, the American dream that she was promised was, was a complete lie or whatever. Four, that's like a real new gear for Rage Against the Machine to be operating in. Storytelling, yeah, yeah especially man, yeah. in such a in such a like a a standard kind of narrative way. Six, and that makes me kind of think well, a lot of what they're doing on the on the Battle of LA. Maybe you could argue it's one of their more skillful kind of albums, if not one of their more like straightforward best, most compact albums. Or I've whatever. mentioned numerous times my favorite Rage. Yeah, I, I really don't think there is a bad choice in terms of favorite Rage Against Machine albums, but apart like, from nah, Renegades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like you know, in terms yeah, of like of their the original studio work, but it's like. Coming back and looking at it again now has made me realize, like, man, like, this really was the band pushing and expanding out what their sound could kind of be and what forms they could kind of play with within still keeping it within the confines of what Rage Against the Machine really was. Like, that's a really, is this could be six? Like, that's a really delicate balance I to think kind you're up of. 74, actually. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. The bit's up to 74. <laughs> um, that's like a really delicate balance for bands to kind of strike sometimes. It's very easy to overshoot that or to, to end yourself up in territory where you're no longer sounding like the band. But like, it kind of goes across everything because at the same time as you have that narrative kind of gear that Zach's working in in this song, like everything about the music complements that really well. And, you know, I think in particular, the, that dissonant, harsh, glassy sound that Morello gets out 
with his guitar, like really makes the story all the more oppressive and confronting. And, you know, when, when Zach's kind of talking about the, the pains of labor or like the being trapped under a truck bed at 106 degrees or whatever, that makes you feel that all the more. Whereas the rhythm section is just basically laying it down. So Zach can spit straight fire. Which Dude, he, the fucking bass. Oh is my God. So choice. Comerford is on fire. He's it's, on he's fire. Doing oh man. Stuff. Yeah. Great, great bass. Always he's in the an pocket. Excellent, he's an excellent bassist. And like, yeah. I think the rhythm section of Rage, like again, one of the things I've kind of realized coming back, because as, as a kid, like being heavily into Rage Against the Machine, I was always about Zach and Tom. But coming back to like, no, actually, the other half here, yeah, that's kind of, it is kind of where it's at. So I loved this song and I have loved this song for like ages. It was always one of my favorite cuts of the Battle of LA, but I always kind of thought it was a little bit more of a deeper cut for Rage. So it's really, really cool yeah, that the Triple because, J audience resonated yeah. with it enough to get it in here. Because it, as we know, it came from the 99 record, but it was not released as a single. In 2001, it was released as a radio promo single. So this was just on the back of, I guess, the like the J programmers vibing with that and must have been playing it across the year 2000. It was at the time definitely a deeper cut. But yeah. like the J programmers and the audience obviously resonated with it as they should because it's terrific. Zach is in sublime form. Totally. Um, I, I do kind of wish there was a third verse just because I'm vibing with what how he's spitting so well. Yeah. Um, but- I get a little bit of like, oh, Tom's doing another... Yeah, like a, Tom makes his guitar sound weird the, solo. The solo I could do without. Yeah. Um, but like overall, it's wonderful. The bass is so fucking sick. Yeah. Like the like the, the, the I guess like the the softer chorus bit where it all kind of drops out before like the main riff kicks in. Yeah, is like okay, but I want that main heavy riff in the like the, I guess the chorus coda bit so bad it was like come on get to that bit mm, but, yeah, yeah yeah but that's a beautiful thing to of kind course of sit in. Yeah, yeah. and that's like mm. the, the the reward structure that things are kind of yeah. settled in you know and it, what really roots it as being like the rage song that you that you kind of come to it gives you that rage gets the machine payoff that yeah. riff in the chorus yeah. and it's it's probably one of the finest riffs that you encounter on the battle of la mm. i always thought that like it's just the melody of it and the way it's delivered. It's like, just so meaty. Oh, man. Yeah. Do you yeah. think this stands out on the album? 100%. Yeah? The album itself is just, it's got more variation than any other Rage Against the Machine album. So I think, like, to say it stands out in particular is a bit of a, it's a bit of a weird way to kind of phrase it. Because I think right. every track kind of stands out in its own kind of way. Like, I really think that the, the individual songs on Battle of LA have more individual identity than on any other Rage Machine album. Mm. It was named by Time magazine and uh, also Rolling Stone as the best album of 1999. Mm. Cool. And something else that I, I read a retrospective talking about the 20-year anniversary of the Battle of LA, and one of the things that they kind of put up is like they found it very, very interesting that the sonic influence of Rage Against the Machine was picked up on almost immediately um, in the fact that you had bands like, you know, basically new metal, rap rock, like yeah. that, yeah. that people, people vibed with that straight away and they adopted that straight away. But the deeper thing that Rage actually stood for, the the politics. Yeah, the revolutionary politics were picked up. Yeah. Yeah, and he's just like that. He's fine. like the writer was just kind of questioning all about that. And I think there is kind of an answer to why Rage is the Machine has kind of endured because like those politics and that discourse has picked up culturally. Right. What new metal was doing was it was turning it more into the personal story. And those kind of family trauma stories were much more in the in the cultural zeitgeist. But now like the the awareness of your connectedness to community, to to a global responsibility or whatever, like yeah. 
whatever other way the, the culture has kind of turned, like that has made Rage Against the Machine all the more enduring and possibly yeah. their music, like it's not surprising that they're getting back together. It's not surprising yeah. that people have called for that now. It's so interesting because like a lot of the people in America who are kind of leaving, leading this new kind of revolutionary kind of political political movement, and I don't even mean like like Bernie Sanders supporters, I mean actual like Black Lives Matter activists yeah. and um, 99% activists and stuff like that. Like most of, like they're young people. They probably weren't alive when this fucking record came out, man. They're yeah. all like 17, yeah. 18, 19, yeah. 20 kind of thing. And like they're now, I guess like they embrace all this kind of thing of Rage Against the Machine. Because like, you think of like with this song, right? Like it's a fucking miserable story. She kills herself in it. Yeah. Like yeah. she goes to America to live, to chase the dream and then essentially is either a slave or a wage slave. Like the, violence of the system is obviously what he's put, putting upon Maria in the story kind of thing. Yeah. And then she kills herself. Like, it's fucking miserable, man. And like, that's... Rage can d- do that kind of story without it sounding exploitative about, like, an immigrant woman suffering because they're talking about, like, mm. the violence of the system is the mm. fucking problem. It's not like this, like, oh, woe is tragic story of a brown woman who dies. It's a story about, like, the violence of the system being this oppressive force that you can't fucking escape from despite the like the the lie of the American dream kind of thing, right? Like, I've mentioned this before. I'm still fucking salty that we only have, apart from the One Day as Lion EP, there's only three records of Zach's lyrics. And that's mm. all we have. I want more because I'm selfish because he's a fucking brilliant goddamn political writer. Perhaps like getting raised back together, maybe they'll make another record. Who knows? And also like political songwriting is tricky at the best of times. Yeah. Um, but all the fucking brain leaking people saying like oh well it's trump selected that kind of thing like that at least we're gonna get some fucking good tunes out of it that kind of moron thing of like at least punk's gonna be good again that's not the fucking case man in these circumstances it's harder than ever to write good pointed political music because it's so easy to fall into sloganeering kind of thing yeah and it's like when like rage were at their best they weren't doing that think of like in the bush years they were like like, no effects got political, anti-flag were always political, but, like, the, all that kind of stuff is very sloganeering kind of punk rock, right? Like, yeah, right. And it's meant to be sung along to kind of thing. But you compare to, like, it's harder than when, like, say, like, during the Obama years, one of my favourite punk rock bands, Propagandy, were then writing more complex political music, kind of thing like that, without yeah. any sloganeering. And that's where it's more complex and more difficult. And that's, I, I get why maybe Zach isn't writing many, like, songs at the moment, because it is so hard mm. to write good, engaging political music if they made a record kind of thing they couldn't do it and like not talk about american political climate at the moment but like if like there was a, a track in there and like zach's talking about it's time for impeachment kind of thing that would be like so be, fucking bad man yeah. that would suck yeah, yeah. Like, but, I mean, he's he's smarter than that i don't think he would ever do that but also but, you know like there has to be a specificity in what you write as well maybe you're right maybe part of the problem is that the discourse is so active mm. and in many ways very nuanced or at least there's a lot of it there's a lot of back and forward and there's a lot of critiquing not all of it is intelligent and needed yeah political shits always move quickly but in today's internet driven culture it's yeah. it moves faster than fucking ever and Dude. i i'm reco- I, I think of um the uk punk band crass who um were in between them writing and recording and releasing a record the falklands war happened like before that it started and ended before they could release a record about it all and they had this real crisis of faith about the time it took them to make records because they're like we weren't able to comment on this thing while it was happening yeah so they then yeah it's very tricky but yeah anyway i do want more zach rocker lyrics is the fucking point (laughs) you look at the verse that he did do on the the those run the jewels albums and they were still were political and they still yeah 
you know, it, it, did, it didn't descend into sloganeering. So no, like, of course not. No, that's based the on the evidence we have. Yeah. He, I, I'm saying he's smarter than that. I don't think he would do. No, he's a better oh writer. no, that, that's exactly yeah. right. But I can see how you could you could see it would be an obstacle maybe to creating. Um, yeah, man, that fucking verse on um, close your eyes, cat to fuck, <sighs> so good, amazing. Dude. Yeah, it's really, really good. And like, as if he said, I'm making an album, there wouldn't be the entire industry saying like, you had any of us. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like, pit, cho- choose who yeah. you, which producers do you want? How yeah. many? Like, I, want, I want, I want LP exec produce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he wouldn't do trap. So no. like, you can rule out Metro Boomin and yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not going to be Travis Scott features. Yeah, like London on a track. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I want feet production at least on one song from Peggy. Yeah, I was gonna say Peggy. Wow. Um, Holy shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not sure who else. Just those two guys. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a good record, be, man. Yeah. It'll be enough. It'll be enough. I think L, L is the obvious choice. Yeah. And one song featuring Young Thug. I don't know how that'd get along, man. That would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. They don't have to be in the same room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can just do right. it separately. Yeah. Just get Young Thug in there. <laughs> Some of those who work first is. At number 76, this is No Effects with Bottles to the Ground. Coming in at number 76 in the Hottest 100 of 2000. That is Bottles to the Ground. Let's throw to our resident punk, Mr. Andrew McDonald. Man, I did not think we'd be talking about no effects this year. Certainly not this song. Yeah, fully right. Really? I remember this getting played on Triple J. Yeah, right. Have we spoken about no effects before at all? No. Uh, well, no effects... One of the premier kind of 90s punk rock bands that helped popularize the genre, along with like obviously Green Day, Blink, Rancid, um, Bad Religion, who were a little bit earlier, but nonetheless. Yeah, kind of popularized that kind of Californian sunny punk rock sound compared to all the other bands that completely stayed independent. Fat Mike, the singer and bass player, founded his own label, Fat Records, which he didn't actually release no effects music on until 2003, 2004 ish. They were signed to Epitaph. Brett from Bad Religion's record label. But yes, they... Bad Religion weren't signed to for a very long time as yeah, well. Yeah, as well, yeah. But Offspring were? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, at least right. for uh, up to... And they don't have their own label, so... No. Right. Smash was released on it, but after Smash, I think Ixnay, I think, was released on Sony. They got big oh, enough. Right. Um, but anyway, this was from their 1999 or 2000 record, Pump Up the Volume, which was a bit after... Valium. It's Volume. It's really. I, I always I always thought the the joke was pump up the Valium. Well, they uh, were going to call it pump up the Valium, but that was a copyrighted term, so oh. they weren't allowed to use it. You don't um, want to get sued. Yeah, and this was a number of years after they kind of made had their breakthrough. They got kind of their first kind of breakthrough punk rock record um, was Punk in Drublick from '94 ish. Yeah, which yep. had linoleum. Yep, opens and with linoleum. Stick, got, is sticking in my eye on that. No, that's White Trash. Too yeah, heaps yeah, in a bean. yeah. Um, I think they were also going to get in trouble for that one as well. The record called White Trash Two Heaps in a Bean refers to the band members. The drummer is White Trash. There's two Jewish people or Hebrew people in the band and a Mexican guy, Bean. 
Jean kind of thing. El Jefe. They were going to call it something much more racist. You can Google it yourself. I'm not going to say it on mic. <laughs> Take it out of context and I'll be cancelled. But anyway, this is... not the first time they called it controversy either with previous releases because it was eating yeah. lamb as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, basically, shall I? It's like... Uh, they, they were they, naughty they, boys. They, they were very naughty yeah, boys. They were, look, they were doing a bit of a 69 with a sheep. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and Germany in particular took umbrage to that. <laughs> But anyway, this was a number of years ago and they got through and this was a record they made before they had kind of their one of their more mainstream breakthrough records, War on Errorism from 2003, which had Franco and America and kind of their closest thing to a crossover hit. And uh, The Idiots Taking Over? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just uh, to, like for personal history, Nathan and I, hugely intimate with NoFX at the time in high school kind of thing, and this was the first... NoFX record that we got because I remember Nathan, you purchased this and then this was the for me first non Frenzel Rom CD that I bought with my own money. Yeah, <laughs> obviously deeply intimate with this record. Yeah, when David said he remembered the song being played on Triple J from this this record, I think there are more. No- this was a single. I will note. I think there are more notable songs to be singles like Dinosaurs Will Die. Perhaps I Love Mondays. Oh yeah, but like this is. I think this is a, a fucking fun song. As far as I can tell, it's like it's just about the end of the night and you're whipping bottles on the ground. Yeah, like. Yeah, I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think it goes beyond... No, because, I mean, obviously Fat yeah, Mike not a metaphor. writes a lot about substance abuse yeah. later. Yeah, because um, he, he didn't get into drugs until he's 30s. Yeah. Because this is the thing, right? Because sometimes, like, with punk, there's a very subtle tone thing where they could be writing a song that appears to be pro-something and it's ab- yeah. absolutely like they're making fun of people who yeah. like that. So when I was listening it's to this song... It's a good song, trick. Yeah. And you very... fell for it like the fascist you are. <laughs> it's very subtle. Makes, yeah. me, makes me confused. But when I was listening to this song, like, it was a question I definitely had in my mind. It was like, are you just making fun of people who get drunk and start fights? Or are you people who like getting drunk and starting fights? Well, I know around this time was when... Make you think. Around this time was when Mike certainly started to get into drugs. As far as I can tell, this song is just about the act which is crappy, but... I have numerous times in my youth, not so much now, but when I was younger, drunk and you have empty beer bottles and you smash them up. Like you peg them on the ground and it's, it, it sounds good and it's fun when you're like 25 beers in. And mm. I think that's kind of all the song's about. Like the, the clubs are ended and I like talked about like walking home and seeing like a beaten up suitcase kind of thing and you just like smash them up. Like in that fucking Always Sunny app when they go to the school reunion and before they go in, they neck the beers and yes. smash them up and just peg them on the ground. Because it sounds good. And it's like, what a supersonic sound, right? I think that's all it's about. And like, again, right, I think this is one of their best tracks, but like, I'm here for the chorus because Mike's voice in it is fucking infectiously fun. I think the end is good too. Yeah, the that, one more round and it's yeah, bottles to the like, ground over and over again. Yeah, it's so catchy. Yeah. Prolonged mm. outro. Yeah. Yeah, like it's good. Like you said, it's it's weird. There are better songs on this album. I would have rather we talked about Linoleum or something a couple of seasons ago. But mm. um We well, should have been your postal vote then, bud. Well talk about all of the decline. Yeah. Oh yeah. so the, good. The third longest punk song of all time. Oh. What's longer? The decline's eight eighteen twenty three. Yeah. I love it because they for ages they were like would never play this live and then they just started playing, playing it live. live yeah. When I saw them at the Metro, open with it, yeah, they opened. They were they came out and they're like, we're not going to talk for the next eighteen minutes, and then they just play the decline. That's like, so good. This is pretty. When I cool. saw them, they got thirty seconds into it and then just stopped dead, and then Fat Mike just <laughs> they, they, <laughs> like, they, they whipped off the crowd yeah. for like. The remaining another 30 seconds. Just, was that the just, end of the set? No, no, no. It was like right. midway through. Huh. And everyone's like, oh, oh, shit. Oh, shit. And then it just stops dead and he's just 
fucking flip. That's it. a good bit. Yeah. It's a pretty good bit. <laughs> so, uh, the ballad of Tony Montana by PMX is 24.04 minutes long. And oh. Cra- Crass, who we mentioned yeah, earlier, right. yeah. have a 20 minute song called Taking Sides. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like I've the last kind of year or so. Like I remember I tweeted this or like a few months ago, saying I think the most immature thing about me is that I still love No Effects. Um, and like, and then Fat Mike saw it and then wrote no, back. No, because no. um, he searches. I'm sure he searches him blocked. I don't know if he does now, man. He's trying. To, I think he's trying to get sober. He's oh, logging true. off. Yeah, he is logging uh, off to a certain love degree. Love to see it. Love, love to see it. Log off. Um, but like the last year or so, I've like revitalize my love of like the 90s no effects records like yeah right i just fucking like just they're fucking just so good to me man i just love them so uh, me coming to this for the first time think it's really interesting that they kind of manage more than a lot of other punk bands at this time to be new school and old school at the same time like, yeah. there's a very classic 70s ramones feel about what's going on here like kind of in the in the really sing-songy playful but at the same time like a little bit in your face obnoxious kind of melody that they're playing with but it, like yeah. The guitars are straight 90s punk and, and mm. the energy is straight 90s punk as well. And as you said, they've got that, that California edge as well. But I, I kind of liked that it, it had that more kind of uh, classic punk edge. Yeah, it's so funny because like when Fat Mike talks about no effects and obviously um, he grew up in 80s like hardcore scenes um, before he started the band. And then when he started the band and they were the first few terrible records... They're really bad. Hey? They're so bad. They're so fucking bad. Um, the first no effects ones. The yeah. first few, man, they're, they're fucking terrible. It takes well, them like three or four records. Motherfuckers started in 83. That's yeah. the thing, right? You think yeah. of them as a new school Yeah, because they, they, but... they were fucking teenagers, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you'd have to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one was fucking in their 20s in 83. No madness. one. God, no. Unheard yeah. of. Um, if you're all interested in no effects, I really strongly recommend listening to their autobiography as an audio book because they each member reads their own section. It's very interesting just hearing about the eighties California punk cool. scene. So they start off in like shitty hardcore bands and that, and then like when Mike talks about no effects now, he still refers to them as like a hardcore band. They still was like, yeah, we, we play hardcore music kind of thing. That's the way he internalizes his appreciation of punk rock kind yeah. of thing. But their music is like so Ramones poppy in so many ways, and just like yeah. sun bleached California like pop punk in so many ways. Yeah, exactly. I find that term really interesting to try and deal with now because like I'm not old school punk in any way. So when people refer to like hardcore punk in the 80s, what I refer to as hardcore now, that pick your fucking feet up. Like very different. Well, for some people- I don't understand. Well, for some people, hardcore is electronic music, right? Like Mm. like happy hardcore. Happy hardcore, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, Like scooter. Yeah. (laughs) I think one thing that we can all agree on is that you're not hardcore- Unless you live hardcore. Well, that's, that's true, very true. Yeah. So do you know the special link that no effects have to Triple J? I think I do. Mike, mm. for many, many, many years, never conducted interviews at all, yep. except with Triple J. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Specifically yeah. with our very good boys, Jay and the Doctor. Yeah. Oh, of uh, course. Because they're friends <laughs> well, and label Well, that's just nepotism, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, like, it, it was the only place you could hear an interview with, with Mike, Mike yeah. for a while, which is um, pretty cool. The on rival podcast turned out a punk. Enemy of the show. Enemy of the Enemy show. Of the show. Punk. Um, Fuck don't you, listen to it after yeah, this. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah, especially because it's hosted by a, a man. man. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Hosted by Jamie and a fucked up, great podcast, great band. In one of the early episodes of that, he interviews Fat Mike, who is very much not sober and is drinking and, talk- and taking drugs during the interview because he's an, he, at the time, he's gotten a bit more sober, but he was definitely a hardcore <laughs> A little user. bit more. Yeah, for a long, long time. Um, Fat Mike can but- have a little sobriety as a treat. <laughs> as, a treat yeah. as a treat. He yeah. can have a little sincere song at the end of each album about yeah. his sobriety as a treat. Oh, God. In that, when he's very drunk, 
uh, in this interview and saying, "It's like I need to have a beer in this interview, man." Like I'm, I'm, he's talking to Damien. He's like, "I need to have a fucking drink with this kind of thing." Right. There's a documentary series about Nine Facts called Backstage Passport, where they go to these yeah tours yeah. to like smaller countries where they're not going to play very big shows, kind of thing like that. Because they were like, at the start of it, like, "Yeah, we all got families now or mortgages, so we don't really get the chance to play any divey punk shows that we did." And we started our career, and we missed that. So we're going to go to these places where we have never been before, like Peru and like. Uh, South Africa and like Namibia and stuff like that, where we can play these divey punk shows again. It's a really fucking good documentary series mm. on YouTube. But um, hmm. like in that, like Mike is just like in. They have their regular crew that have been with for twenty years, and they know it's their like responsibility to make sure Mike has a bunch of coke when he gets off stage because he needs it kind of thing. Like he was a fucking terrible drug user. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's some very funny and also incredibly embarrassing scenes of him fucking up shows because he's just wanked kind of thing, right. and mm. the band getting super shitty with him. I don't feel like there's a lot of passive aggression in in punk bands. It's just aggression. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. I think that's like that's gonna be nice yeah <laughs> so you know exactly Everyone where you says stand. what they feel yeah. yeah i think we could all have a little bit more of that yeah i do think it's it's interesting we kind of talked about it a bit in the past but we'll talk about it more i think in a couple of seasons time especially with green day but it's weird for bands like no effects and bad religion to be going through the 90s and early 2000s when the pop punk bands that started after them that are very much taking a lot stylistically from them are starting to blow up and mm. like because no effects is writing pop punk in the 90s yeah you know? sure it seems yeah. like pop punk like, to me yeah, yeah. I, I think this musically genre wise is on exactly the same page as green day and i think it must be really weird for them at this point to see green day becoming huge and no effects not I guess for no effects, they, like their their whole thing was like fiercely independent. They absolutely never ever wanted to go to a major label. That was yeah. like always their thing. They got offered like numerous times, and Mike was like, "No, I really think we can do this ourselves." Obviously, like success is relative kind of thing, but like everybody no effects is a multi is a multi millionaire. Oh, it's like, true. They, they, it's they, very very yeah, true. Like they're they're doing okay, but it is weird that like the net worth of Billy Joe Armstrong would just be ten times that of Fat Mike. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This is a very punky countdown. Yeah, totally yeah. right. So, so apologies to fans of happy hardcore <laughs> or any other kind of hardcore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll get to you. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll give you some scooter as a treat. Yeah. Oh, you can have later. a little scooter as a have treat. Have a little scooter as a treat. Yeah. A little bit of Nessinger. Good morning, the painted cow. It's <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> That brings us to the end of yet another episode of Hottest 100s and 1000s. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. We appreciate you. We're always going to be here for you. We're happy you're hardcore. Oh, <laughs> god damn. So true. Before we get out of here, we're going to pick our favourites and our least favourites and continue that ever-continuing story of carrying over champ and carry over chump. My favourite this week... Hmm... Weirdly enough, I reckon it might have been Stand Inside Your Love. I really like that song. But uh, I am going to keep my carryover champ, which is good fortune. My chump this week... Oh, God. like Pretty good app. Can we we count? Sure, you can. Absolutely. Yeah, down with the sickness. Down with the (laughs) sickness. No, don't you dare. That's my boys. No, my my carryover chump uh, remains. Um, yeah, my favourite, I, I can't take the nostalgia goggles off, so my favourite was No Effects' Bottles to the Ground. Mm-hmm. My least favourite was No Leaf Clover, but again, none of these five songs are particularly terrible. Even when we spoke about No Leaf Clover last year, I remember yeah, remarking we that around. it was a good song. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the symphony and the yeah. metal work well together. Mm. Um, the symphony and the Metallica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I remember their band name sucks. Um, it's so bad. But um, most, most band names are terrible, yeah. so it doesn't, you know, whatever. There's a couple wrote, of okay ones. They wrote puppets, so they get a pass. Yeah. yeah. My chump remains Madonna, and my chant remains PJ Harvey. I think I'm going to... Oh, it's just like Maria is a better song than Bottles to the Ground. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, it is a better song, but... <laughs> but I love Bottles to the Ground. It's but, the thing! But I also, like, I definitely have some cringe attached to that album. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Because you were young when you got into yeah, it? Yeah, and because I listen back to some of it now and it's just so, like... Listening to stuff that you loved when you were younger is hard. And, it's, you, and you just no second guess yourself. have a lot of songs that are intentionally very immature yeah. and puerile. And and I just don't, like, I don't care for that at all anymore. Mm. Um, <laughs> Theme from an OFX album rules, though. No, that is great. Yeah. It's, and uh, Maria was really good, but the solo was annoying. Um, look, I'll say Bottles <laughs> to the Ground is my favourite, and my least favourite is going to be Metallica. Um, but I will keep my Champ and Chump, which I don't even remember at yeah. this point. I, I think it's still Killing Heidi is my Champ, and Morchiba is my Chump. Yes. You, want it, you want that? You got it. All right, cool. Just for you, as a treat. Uh, yeah. What? Uh, yeah. I just, I want some standouts <laughs> to happen so I can make clear <laughs> decisions. I'm like, I love this song. I hate this song. Well, I mean, like for me, I got some. I got some silver chair that's been in my pocket for a little while, mm. and like I could just keep that. But I think I need to make a. I need to make a sweetness. Create some movement for this countdown. So Maria is my new champ. Nice. Um, Maria, and my Maria. least favorite song from this episode is Octopus's Garden. <laughs> uh, but I don't actually think it's worse than uh, Rome Wasn't Built in a Day. So, it is. No, it is worse. The Morchiba hate is gathering momentum as well. Okay, wow. The Cheeb. Yeah. The Cheeb. The Cheeb. All right, we are officially one quarter of the way through, baby. Oh, do we get a treat? Oh, yeah, we're all getting treats right now. So we'll see you next week when we kick into quarter two of the 2000 Hottest 100. But until then, on behalf of Mr. Nathan Harrison... It's a weird countdown so far. They're all weird. <laughs> They're all pretty They're pretty all weird. bad. The whole thing's a scam. Andrew McDonald. Another good hardcore is Pulps. This is hardcore. <laughs> and Adam Buncher. See you later. My name is David James Young. Everything is good for William Patrick Corgan. I had to do it to him. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. <laughs> <laughs>